You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning. My name is Dorian, and I am a student leader within Hope Youth. Please stand for today's reading. The passage today is Romans chapter 15, verse 8 through 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people again and again. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him with a Gentile's hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Uh, It's good to see you this morning. So I want to start by dispelling a rumor uh, before it starts that I am not 35. I just said, no, I I know that some of you are shocked because you're thinking, yeah, we thought you were like just 32. No, that's not the case. And then somebody brought a hat. Oh, Todd and Norman Newton brought a hat with me. I would feel just terrible if I didn't wear it. But I think that would, you just have to tell me, would this be distracting during the sermon? I just have to ask the, um, yes or no? Yes. Yeah, right, yeah. And uh, I, I love you guys because I actually just messed up my hair, and that's a big deal to me, right? So uh, anyway, I will take this off, uh, if I can get it off, and not to, oh gosh, there you go. My hair, does it look okay? Everything good? Okay, just want to make sure, and uh, I would put it there, but then I would come up here and sit on it, and then that would be another issue. Okay. Happy <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, I appreciate that very much. Uh, Susan, do not audition them. Where is she in here for worship? Okay. No, you guys sound wonderful. You really do. Thank you. Absolutely. So if you take 35 and add 30, then you got it right there on, on, on the dot. So that's, that's where I am in life. And I just want to say, God is, God is so good and it's so amazing and and uh, I feel great today and awesome. And people say, so how do you feel being 65? I don't know. How is it supposed to feel? I'm not real sure. But um, if, this is, if this is the way it feels, then, then, hey, it's great. 65 is wonderful. Come join me, you know. So anyway, hey, thank you so much for your birthday wishes as well. Today is actually my birthday, December the 17th. So there you go. Um, blame my mom. You know, kind of deal. It's too close to Christmas, what Reba always says. But anyway, I want to teach this morning, if we can get to that part, right, uh, from the uh, song as we have been teaching for the last couple of weeks together, Oh Holy Night. And we've been putting this together, and so today is chapter two. It's a chapter that's not as familiar to some of you as one and three is, so I'm going to read it out for you and then share with you, I guess, what I gleaned from that. But most importantly, what Scripture tells us is this, is this song leads us to Scripture together this morning. So let me read it to you. It says this, But by the light of faith, ser- uh, serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by his 
candle we stand, right? His cradle we stand. So led by light of a star sweetly gleaming, here comes the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings laid thus in lowly manger in all our trials born to be our friend. He knows our need to our weakness is no stranger. I underline that line because that was what stood out to me so powerfully. He knows our need to our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king before his before him lowly bend, bend. Behold your king before him lowly bend. And so, again, this is a verse that perhaps you've never sang before because the first one and the third one is what we hear the most. But inside of this verse is this amazing message of hope for you and I today. But that seventh uh, line in this verse is the one that stuck out to me so powerfully where it says, he knows our need to our weakness, he is no stranger. That we find great hope in this understanding that God knows us. That's, that's wonderful, isn't it? That God knows us. But then it goes further than that. It takes it beyond the realm of knowledge to this thing that he is no stranger to our weakness. And so what that says to you and I is this, that he's no stranger to our humanity. He's no stranger to our humanity. And that gives me great hope to know that he knows me, one, and then to understand that he is no stranger to my humanity. He knows how I live. He knows what this world is like. We're going to read that from the book of Hebrews in just a moment. But he knows what we experience in this life. And because of that, I find great hope. If this was a God that was just giving you and I promises, if it was a God that was the source of hope for our lives, but he had never walked where we walked, he had never experienced what we experience in life, then I think that maybe that hope would be a little more difficult for you and I to grasp. But because he knows us, and then secondly, because he's no stranger to the weakness of our life, then we can, I think, wrap our mind around this in a greater way that this is the God that loves you and I. And it's so powerful because it speaks to you and I this great message of hope. And that's what we want to talk about this morning is hope. So I want to start with sharing sharing with you a Christmas tradition in our house. And we have this Christmas tradition in our house that every Christmas Eve... We open one gift, and actually, Reba brought this for me today. This is my Christmas Eve gift, and I, I wrapped it myself. Reba and I wrapped together, but this is one of my wrappings because I can tell the first service, I looked it over, and I noticed that it is taped like I normally tape box, boxes. You say, Mark, that's strange that you can tell that. Yes, it is. I have a certain way that I do that. One of my quirks, right, again, as many of them. I have a big, long list of all of them. So this is my gift. And so on Christmas Eve, when all of our boys were home, we would bring them into the living room around the tree, and we could say, okay, you can open one gift tonight. Well, Reba already had it planned out, right? So they would pick a gift, and then Reba would say, no, not that one, right? And, right? You understand? Yeah. And then they would pick another one, and she would say, what? No, not that one, right? And then about after 10, no, not that ones, uh, then they get to one and she say, yes, that's the one. You can open that one, right? Normally in our home, that it was a pair of pajamas for us to wear on Christmas morning. And I do know because me wrapping that, this one, that this is a pair of PJs for me to wear tomorrow morning. And I will not be sharing a photo of that with any of you. I will not, right? But yet... I had a thought about this tradition that we have. 
because I call this kind of the tease gift, right? It sort of builds enthusiasm for what's going to happen the next morning when they wake up. At least that was with our boys and how it worked. But I always thought, you know, what if this, all this hope about the next morning is based upon that gift that you get on Christmas Eve night, and then that gift that you give on Christmas Eve night to your children doesn't sort of um, meet their expectation, right? What if it's a kind of a letdown that gift is? And, and so they open it, and it's, it's not uh, meeting up to their expectation. So how does that affect how they experience and how they feel about the morning to come? It's a thought. Now, for some of you that have this tradition in your home, now you're rethinking what's in the box, aren't you, right? You're thinking, maybe I should change this if that's really the way it works. Well, I, I want to take that concept, lay it over our lives, and, and I want to say you know, to some of you, how many times have you hoped in something that has left you disappointed? How many times have you placed a, a tremendous amount of hope in something that failed you, left you disappointed, And from that one moment, it has affected years and moments to come. It has affected a lot of things in your life as you have grown, you know, older maybe. And a lot of experiences because you had that one moment where your hope was sort of disappointed in that. I call that misplaced hope. And we do it all the time in life. We, we really do. We place our hope in things and people and situations. You say, Mark, are you saying that we should not hope in anything but God? That's not what I'm saying at all. But I want you to listen to this for a moment, but don't go away with that thought. But when we place our ultimate hope in things that have the propensity to disappoint us, then I'm going to tell you at some point you are going to be disappointed. And does it work like this gift that we have on Christmas Eve, if it doesn't meet the expectation, does it affect what happens after that on Christmas morning? Well, does those things affect your late experiences later in life? And the answer is yes, they, they absolutely do. So let me define hope for you for a moment. Hope is a confident expectation of the future. It is. And I would say to you that hope is a good thing, so I'm not here to bash that. Hope is a good thing. But I also want to add another statement to this, that hope is not an easy thing. Hope is a good thing, but hope is not an easy thing. Well, what do you mean? Well, let me show you through the Advent story this morning what that simply means to you and I. Because hope enters this world in a very difficult way. You have a carpenter who is, who is engaged to a peasant girl. She becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That is problematic. I want to tell you, it really is, isn't it? Yes, That when your fiance comes to you and says, hey, I'm looking forward to the wedding. Oh, by the way, I'm carrying a child and and, and it has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, if, if that's not a problem to you, if that happened in your life, then please see me after church because we really want to pray for you. We really do. Because that, that's, that's a huge issue. It is. Joseph considers divorce. They travel to Bethlehem. When Mary is extremely pregnant, they're forced to lodge in a cave because there's no rooms in the inn left for them. They are visited by shepherds who are the lowliest in the culture at that moment. And and when I put all that together, what I, I go back to that moment in that song where it says, He, the incarnate Christ, God wrapped in flesh, knows our need to our weakness. He is no stranger because hope came into this world in a very hard way. 
You realize that. If you've ever had this thought about God that, well, God is out of touch with me or God doesn't understand what I am going through, just go back to the very Advent story itself and you can realize that hope in this world was born through a very difficult situation. So God does understand that what I realize is that if hope comes into this world in a very difficult way, then why should we think it to be any different for us? Why should we think that we would not struggle with hope in our life and struggle how to not just maintain it, but how to do that of, of getting it in the first place within our life? Yes, how hope enters our lives sometimes is through great struggle. Hope is a good thing, but it's not an easy thing. God uses kings and kingdoms He uses hardships and struggles, bad times to birth greater hope. So what are you saying, Mark? I'm saying this to you that there is nothing surface about ultimate hope in our life. There is nothing surface about that. And this is so powerful to see this in this story. Now, I'm not saying that you don't hope in things in this life. No, I believe there is, you know, we've talked about this in the past before. There's a general hope that we have. You hope that You know, you go to work next week and then when payday comes along that your employer, they, they, um, they write you a paycheck. You hope that that happens, right? So that's okay. You hope in your relationship, you hope in with your spouse. So those are kinds of things that you should have hope in. But then there is this ultimate hope. It's what you anchor your life to. It's what keeps you steady and steadfast in this life when everything else around you is fluid. And so what happens is when we take that ultimate hope and we place it in things that have the propensity to fail us in life, then that's where we have a problem as human beings. So we have to have a conversation on this Advent Sunday about hope. So where are you going to talk from? Well, Dorian read that earlier. I want to read it to you again, but just... Two verses from Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Verse 13 first, it says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So here's a couple, one of couple of thoughts is this. Ultimate hope is realized in and through God alone. God is both the source and the supplier of hope within our life. May the God of hope, what? Paul does in writing this text makes it very clear to you and I that he, it's not that just that God is an inspirer in our life. It's not that God is up in heaven saying, hey, you can do this. You can do this. Keep your chin up. That's, that's not it. I can say those words to you. I can be like a coach in a locker room before the team takes the field. We can do that. It's more than that. What he's saying to us is that this is the very nature and the very essence of God, that God is the author and the creator of hope itself, that ultimate hope does not exist apart from God. It's not that he just distributes it to us. It's the essence of who he is. Let me talk about that for a moment. Because what I realize that ultimate hope that, that hope in our lives, it's not moved by the things of this world. It, it's, it's not based on probabilities, but it's based on promises given to us by God. And when we displace our ultimate hope 
in things that are not of God, then what happens is we are placed in the ultimate hope of our life on probabilities. What's a probability? A probability is you take an amount of money, you place it in an IRA or some type of fund, and you hope that the stock market works well for you so that at some point that money increases. And so, but yet that may or may not happen. Why? Because that's a probability for you in life and a probability for me. And so what I realize is that this ultimate hope that is based upon the promises of God, God makes those promises himself. And when I read Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, it says this, so that by two unchangeable things, I like that, I underline that, because I want something that I build my life on that is unchangeable. By two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. So let me ask you a question for a moment. This is church, so you have to be honest, right? How many of you have ever in your entire life, regardless of what your age is, you have told a lie? Raise your hand. Let me see your hand if you've told a lie. Good. Some of you that didn't raise your hand, you're lying right now, right? Isn't that true? Yes, yes. Perhaps, I don't know, can't judge your heart, but it's a thought, right? Yes, yes. That's God, God cannot do that. You say, but Mark, I thought God can do, can do every, anything and everything. Well, God, by his sovereign power, has determined that he will never lie to you. I think that's a powerful thought. But he goes on to say, let me read more. That we who have felt, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope. What is, what is God not lying to us about? He's not lying in the fact that we have hope that we can hold on to in this life. And it's not based upon probabilities. It's based upon this promise. He said, we have this as a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul. I love this illustration that Paul uses. And he uses that of a ship's anchor. And he said, hope in your life and your life is like an anchor. And it's it's. It's deep into that promises of God that God has made us and God does not lie. So nothing in this world can move that. But, but Mark, I, I, need, I need that anchor to be strong because you don't understand what's going on in my life. And what I realize is that the anchors of our life are forged in strength. They're forged in strength in the heat and the intensity of the struggles of our lives. So what I'm saying is this, that ultimate hope is realized in the adversity of our life. Wow. So is that what God is doing right now in my life? Right where I am, that God is forging an anchor of hope that nothing in this life can move. And I would say, yes, if you look at the story of the Advent, if you look at what Paul is saying to us, that is absolutely true. That's what Paul is doing. Paul is saying to you and I that God is forging a hope within your life that is not superficial. It's, it's, it's not surface at all. It's not based on probabilities in any way, but it's based on the promises of God. And God has sealed that with the fact that he cannot and will not lie to you so that it places an anchor in our life that is immovable. But that anchor is forged right in the middle of the adversity of my life. 
You say, how do you know that is the way it works? Let me go back to the Advent story for a moment with you. Look at the life and the road that Mary and Joseph travel. It's this time Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is how it happens, the writer says. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, before they consummated to the marriage, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is a struggle for Joseph. I think that what many times, you know, we preach and teach this during Advent season. We always talk about Mary's song and how Mary struggles, but she's a great person of faith, but she struggles with this whole idea of what's going on. But yet, I think it's time we sort of take a moment and we look at Joseph for a moment. This is a story. If you take the human element out of the Advent story, then you have stripped it of some of its meaning for you and I today in the world that we live. And it says in verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, or some theologian says put her to death, which was a penalty for what perhaps had happened or appeared to happen there, resolved to divorce her quietly. And what I realize is this. The way to hope is not always visible for you and I at the moment of need or the circumstance. So there are times when we have to sleep on it. And that's exactly what Joseph does, that he sleeps on it. Because in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. When he wakes up from the dream, he leans into God. He responds in faith. He doesn't have all the answers Listen, how can you have all the answers for what is taking place in his life and in Mary's life? You just can't. You can't. Your wife, our soon-to-be wife, has conceived a child by the Holy Spirit. How do you deal with that? And how do you put all of that together in your mind and say, oh, I understand that. I've got a full grasp of what's going on here. No, you don't. This takes some powerful faith on Joseph's behalf. It's what is said to you and I in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That I don't have all the details. I don't have all the answers to all of the questions. But hope is founded on faith in the middle of adversity. Faith in someone bigger than myself, and that is Christ. And it's not a total work of my efforts as well. It's those moments in our life when we say, God, I'm going to trust you. I don't have all the answers, but I know that I have you. And then hope is realized. Hope is a good thing, yes, but hope is not an easy thing. I think that's what we have to wrap, wrap our brains around this morning. Because here you have Joseph, he's struggling. You do. He, he, God initiates. God sends an angel. God does a work in his heart, in his life. Joseph responds in faith, and hope is realized. We say, Mark, wait a minute. You got to stop for a moment. This is, a, this is one of those kind of um, 
Advent messages that, that I've heard, and you give us all of this, but you don't talk about the reality of where I am, because right now I'm in a really dark moment in my life, and this is a moment of great struggle for me, and I have a lot of questions, and, and right now that I just, I just can't believe. You know, I just can't believe. And, and I want to tell you, stop for a moment, because I think what you're thinking is that you just can't believe, so that means I'm out. You know, I'm completely out of this hope thing, and then it's just not going to work in my life this way. And, and, and so I think what I call that polar express theology, you know? You ever seen the movie? What is the movie? The movie is that if you can't hear the bell ringing, right... That you're just kind of out. You're, you're, you're sort of out of the loop kind of deal. And, and so I think that's the way we think at times about the struggles of life and our own situations in those moments where we need great hope is that, you know, I'm just in this moment that I can't believe. So I guess that I'm just out of all of this and I'm in the cold. But I went back and I read Mark chapter 9. When you have a moment today, sit down and read Mark chapter 9. It's powerful. It's a story about a man who brings his son to Jesus. And his son has been demon-possessed for some time. He throws himself in the fire. And, and so he brings his son to Jesus to be healed. But he says this thing to Jesus, which is so, I think, powerful. He says, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Here's what he does. He says, I know you're Lord. I'm not questioning who you are. But what I'm not certain about at this moment in my life is what you can do about the situation I'm in. You see, Mark, God just probably turns away from that. God gives him a lecture, you know, tells him he's wrong, tells him to come back when he can get his act together. No, if you read Mark chapter 9, what you realize is that what Jesus does is this. Jesus performs the miracle. Jesus delivers his son is what he does. Because sometimes in my life, in your life, all I have is this statement. God, I know who you are. I'm struggling to believe. But God, I know who you are. And that's all I have. And you take a deep breath and you rest in that. Because in the middle of that adversity of your life, God is building a great foundation of faith in your life. Sometimes we get locked into our head that I have to say the right words and I have to have all of those things kind of put together in order for God to respond to me and for God to work in my life. And when I look at the Bible, it teaches me something exactly the opposite. It does. When I look at Joseph's life, what I realize that faith didn't come or hope didn't come to Joseph prior to the situation that Joseph was in. Where does hope come to him? Hope comes to Joseph in the middle of the circumstances of his life because that's where God is forging that strong anchor because there's a lot more life that Joseph is going to have to live with Jesus and with Mary. There are other things he's going to have to deal with. And so what God is doing, God is building a greater hope for even that moment, a greater hope for other things in his life. So don't think that if you are in this conflict this morning, that somehow that you are out of God's reach or that God is not doing anything in your life 
in the reality of all of this as you lean into God. And maybe you cannot say, God, I just know that you're going to take care of all of this and you have the answer. All you can say is, God, I know who you are. God, I know who you are. Then in those moments, God is building a foundation of hope in your life. That's what he does in Joseph's life. When hope comes into this world, And that's what he does in my life as well. So here's a question. What is God going to do in your life this Advent season as you believe? Let me read verse 13 again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It's it. Joy. That's a powerful word, isn't it? Yes, and, and I go back to Joseph as well. Here's Joseph in this situation. And, and, and so is it just because he confesses joy? Is that, what is, is that what he's talking about? Right? No, it's this inward satisfaction of the soul is what it is. It's not a veneer in our life, but it's an inward satisfaction of our soul that we trust God, that God is enough. I may not have all the other answers or details of any of this stuff in my life, But yet God is enough. It's an inward satisfaction of my soul. And then he couples that with peace, that you're filled with joy and peace. They work together. They work because, well, I'm at peace because everything is going right in my life. Is that what you're saying? No, it's an inward settledness of the soul, that my soul is settled. My soul is settled that God will take care of all of this. So I have this ease of soul through the work of the Holy Spirit due to where my hope lies, not because I see everything changing around me. When Paul talks about joy and peace, he's not talking about personality traits, you know? He's not talking about joy as that bubbly, cheery, extroverted personality that we all just love. You know, that's, that's not it at all. Or the person that's always calm and collected in all these situations. And I think sometimes you judge what God does and doing in your life by those kinds of personality traits. And if I'm not having that kind of personality trait, then, then God is not doing something in my life. And that's, that's the furthest thing from the truth. Because what, what uh, Paul does here is he says, all of these things fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Why? Because this is a work of God in your life. This is God working within you. So you may not be all bubbly and cheery, right? But this is God working inside of you. Something that's not superficial, but this is something deep. He's forging an anchor of hope in your life that holds you steady in this world. And then he says, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in love. I love this. Because he bookends this prayer. And verse 13 is a prayer of Paul. He bookends that with hope. Because he says it's God's heart that you have hope. It's God's heart in this world that you have hope. It's the, it's the entire Advent story. It's that of the coming of Christ. It's that of Jesus being born in the moments of struggle. And, and all of the, the hardships of that moment. That hope arises in the very middle of all of those kinds of things. And so that is what God is doing in your life and my life as well. In the moments, in those moments 
of conflict. And in those moments of a struggle, God's building something within our lives because he is a God that cannot lie. So hope grows lastly in unlikely circumstances. So I go back to verse 12. I read this for a moment and then let me make some comments and pray with you. It's Romans 15 and verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, so what Paul is doing, he goes back to the Old Testament and he quotes Isaiah and he says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles rule or hope. And so I thought about this. It's a very interesting text for Paul to put there prior to this verse 13 that is known as one of the most powerful texts in all the Bible regarding hope in our life. So I thought about the words about the root of Jesse and and all those kinds of things. And and he quotes Isaiah, so I went back to Isaiah and read. And what I realized is that that root of Jesse, many people use, or theologians, says it more resembles, in the words that are used there, it more resembles a stump. You know what a stump is? A stump is where a tree once grew, right? Right? And you cut it down, and that's the lifeless part of the tree that's left, which most of the time, very little, if nothing, ever grows from a stump. And so it got me thinking. So I began to look at the history of all of this. And what I realized is that Jesse is a Bethlehemite. He's from, he is from Bethlehem. He is the father of David who becomes king of Israel, who is also from Bethlehem. And I begin to put all these together and connect the dots. If you go back to Luke chapter 2, that Mary and Joseph has to travel back to Bethlehem for a census because Joseph is a Bethlehemite. He is from Bethlehem because he is of the heritage and the line of David, who is that of the line of Jesse. Well, Mark, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense yet. Hang on for a moment. Bethlehem itself is situated in the ancient world to where it was the gateway to Israel, to all the invading hordes of armies that would come and enslave them. It was a place that was many times decimated. Bethlehem is situated in a very arid part of the country. So very little grows there in Bethlehem. It's been decimated by drought so many times in history. If you read the book of Ruth, you find that Bethlehem is in a drought and in a great famine. It's a place of great poverty. Even to this day, it's very impoverished. During David's time, it's occupied by the Philistines. And so I put all of this together. And what it says to us is that what appears to be dead from the root of Jesse, a line that has almost been decimated by invading hordes for years, from a town that is obscure, 
to where that most people would leave it and not move into it would come hope for the future. God causes a shoot to come from a stump and that shoot is David. And from that shoot comes a branch, which is Jesus, the hope of all humankind. From an obscure town in the grips of poverty comes the hope of all the world. Hope is born as a babe wrapped in rags, placed in a feed trough in a desperate attempt to keep him warm by his teenage mother. For you see, hope arises from things that appear to be dead. So what I would say to you this morning is that your rough place in life is an opportunity for hope. You see the dots do connect. That what seems to be hopeless with God is actually the fertile soil for great hopefulness because that's the story of Advent that he knows our need how does he know that because to our weakness he is no stranger you are this morning and a struggle a fight misunderstanding a a moment where you don't have all the answers to things for you to step back for a moment and take a deep breath and to understand that those areas of your fertile grounds for God to build something within you that the world cannot take from you. That is a great anchor of hope. So trust him. So if you pray with me this morning, take a posture of prayer, whether it's bowing your heads or closing your eyes, just sitting there silently and letting God speak to you. Those who are joining us online, if you guys would pray with us as well. So Father, we just rest in your words this morning. that 
what you have shown us through the Advent story, what you have given us from Paul's writings. That it makes us step back and and take a moment and and catch our breath and, and realize that, Lord, maybe even things around us have not changed a lot. We haven't even seen the things come about that we have prayed for. We still feel like we are in the throes of a a struggle of our life. But God, in the middle of that, you are a God that cannot lie to us. And so you are building something that anchors us to you that the world cannot take from us. So God, we trust you this morning. We trust you that you are doing a work in the middle. And that work does not produce something in our life that's superficial and shallow but yet it produces something with great depth. So we trust you today, God. We trust you. We lean into you like never before in our life. We look at the Advent story, God, maybe with a different different light. And it speaks to us in a very different way because truly it's a story that doesn't have a shelf life that never gets old. So thank you, Father, that you specialize in taking what seems to be dead you grow great hope. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Father. Father, for those here this morning that that do not know you in a personal way and they have never accepted you as the Lord and Savior of their life and they're really struggling for some eternal hope, that God, by your spirit, that you would draw them to you. God, realizing that they're a sinner as we are all sinners, but you have saved them by your grace as you have saved all of us in this room. So Father, help them to accept your salvation in their life and accept you as the Lord of their life and find great hope for eternity as well. Thank you, Lord, that you take what appears to be dead and you bring great hope Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week. 